Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. Hello and welcome to a very, very special edition of Sherlock from Adler to Amberley. Ordinarily, um, our remit is a simple one. We talk about whatever the next Sherlock Holmes short story is going to be. Um, so we've just recorded Black Peter um, with Catherine. Um, but we've got a very special show this week. We're not talking about a Sherlock Holmes story, although we're actually talking about several. Um, because on Monday night, I went to see, uh, the title is Tim... Watson, the final problem. I thought I'd let you do that. Uh Um, At uh, the Norwich Playhouse, and um, I sequestered myself in the front row, uh, which just sort of happened. It didn't look like like a massive fanboy by sitting right, literally right under your feet um, in the play. And um, uh, I uh, accosted you in the bar afterwards and um, said we might give you a bit of publicity for your future run. So we have special guests. We have Tim Marritt, who plays Watson, uh, in the uh, in in the play, and um, we have the writer who is um, no definitely definitely no strangers to this show, uh, Bert Cool. So hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Ah, you're both there. That's that's that's, that's the most important thing. Um, Tim, at the end of the show, and we'll we'll go about what the show is. Um, it's a one man show. Um, uh, at the at the end of the show, you give a sort of potted history about how this came about. But could you, would you like to tell us just? Why Watson? How did you come about this? You, you said to us on, on on Monday night, you're not really a Sherlockian as such, are you? Just uh... no, not really. No, uh, I was doing. Uh, I've been touring for a while. A uh, a post traumatic stress themed piece called Shell Shock that had been very successful and take me uh, all over the world to, to just not the UK but uh, America and and Australia and New Zealand and have been great. Um, but we were on a, a holiday in uh, in Switzerland and we stayed in Meiringen. Ah. Where there is, of course, a Sherlock Holmes museum, and there and that, and you can walk up to the Reichenbach Falls. And uh, we went for a walk up to the Reichenbach Falls, and that evening over dinner, we're sitting with our Swiss friends who'd invited us out there. We had this conversation about, crikey, here's a man who is similarly traumatised to my character in Shellshock. He's a man who's lost his great companion. Conan Doyle cruelly, by 1894, has killed off his wife, beloved wife Mary, as well. He's he's a veteran of service in Afghanistan. We're not quite sure where his wounds are, so Bert and I decided we'd have two instead of one. We got one in the shoulder. They move around. They move around around a lot. 
but we just, but we, we realize that this story is is often told from Sherlock Holmes' perspective, but the impact on Watson must have been phenomenal. And and uh, and you know, Conan Doyle wrote most of the stories in the third first person. So a solo show as Watson, looking at the Reichenbach Fall story, the Moriarty story from Watson's perspective was something that really uh, appealed. Uh, I didn't uh, feel confident that to, to approach this subject matter without having a real expert on board. So I did a little bit of research and discovered uh, a little bit about the wonderful Burke Gould's, uh, emailed him out of the blue and lo and behold, he came back and said, let's do lunch. And we did lunch in a, a funny little restaurant underneath Charing Cross Station and got on rather well. And um, we had this fantastic conversation about how great it would be to do this. And Bert being Bert and being rather self-effacing, I said to him, well, we're going to need a, a director to work on, on us with this. And he said, well, I think I might be able to help with you there. Before I was head writer at the BBC, I was a director for 20 years. And I said, I think we might need someone to help us with a sound design. He said, well, I might be able to help you with that. Before, <laughs> before I was a director, I was a sound engineer for 13 years or something along those lines. I think that's what you said, Bert. And so I, I not only got a fantastically generous and, and uh, a knowledgeable and uh, well, more than knowledgeable, an expert um, co-creative writer in, in Bert. I also got an expert director and an expert sound designer. So I was hugely, hugely grateful. And he's been a fantastic supporter ever since. And I hope you, you appreciated, uh, and I'm sure Bert, you heard it in high, that at the end of every performance, I asked the audience to give one last round of applause that's so loud you can hear it where you, wherever you <laughs> I can, I can, in the depths of Kent. You've um, you exaggerated my CV. You stretched the years a little there, Tim. But <laughs> so thank you for that. But you were essentially on the ball there. I, re I really should say there is a great deal of benefit from emailing Bert, thinking there's no possible way he'll reply to an email, um, because we got a live show out of it, myself and John, when you appeared with uh, with Leslie to discuss um, Leslie Klinger to discuss the final problem and um, and the empty house. So, but it seems I only really talked to you about the final problem. Um, how did you approach writing the play? Bearing in mind, it, it, it's, um, I don't know if, if you would see this as restricted because it's one person or um, we've, we've discussed before about you writing a, a double hander when you wrote The Abbey of Any Murders and The Further Adventures. But was it more, is it difficult to write for one person for, I think it's about 70 minutes altogether? It's, um, I'm tempted to say it's difficult to write for one person, two people, five people, ten yeah, people, a number of people. Um no, it's 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 not harder or easier. It's just different, um, yeah. because as Tim said, it's entirely Watson. Um, when I first started, I, I did some sample pages for Tim, and I did exactly what he didn't want me to do. I I did two pages of, of what I think he called a hat play, which is one of those plays where the actor takes on lots of different roles neatly differentiated by changing your hat every now and then, um, which is exactly what he didn't want. So I went away and I rethought it, and it seemed to me that if we had a scenario where Watson was in his living room chatting maybe to a small group of friends, telling this story, he would he would pretend to be – that's the wrong yeah. word he, – he would act all the other yeah. characters himself. So although we have a scene between Holmes and Moriarty – it's Watson. Watson's yeah. doing it all. So it all comes down uh, in steps back to Watson. And once you've grasped that as a writer, then you're away. Then you know exactly how to focus it. That's, that's, yeah, it's, 
I, I was very anxious not to do uh, the classic solo play. I don't like solo plays. I always said I'd never do a solo play. And I don't like solo plays where you walk into the theatre and you see a costume rail and a hat stand with 14 different hats on it. And you know that the actor is going to demonstrate to the audience his, his fantastic versatility. Um, that's that's not what, what I wanted at all. I wanted to get into the character of, the, of Watson and tell Watson's story as Watson. So when I go into Moriarty, when I go into Sherlock Holmes, when I go into uh, Steiner at the hotel in, in yes. Martin, I, I I do that as Watson, yes. giving his imitation of those people, n- not embodying uh, the characters themselves. I, I was just glad that you didn't do that thing of sprinting from one side of the stage to another to show that you're being a different person. Now that, that was a genuine worry. Um, sorry, but oh, sorry, I was going to say one of the great things about Watson that is often completely overlooked, if not only slightly overlooked, is that Watson is a writer, and he's a damn good writer, which means he knows how to tell a story. Yeah, that was a key for for this show. This is Watson doing what Watson does best. Um, yeah. One of the things Watson does best, which is telling a story, bringing it alive for his listeners. And that was something we were both very anxious to to capture. I say in, in, in the piece, you know, um, Holmes is fond of saying that all, all I cared about was the drama, the colour, the sweep of the investigation, the thrill of the chase. Hey. He's a dramatic storyteller, Watson. And, and, yeah. uh, and so it does lend itself to the solo show very well. As I think I said to you after the performance, the other great gift of this piece um, is that it's a journey. It's unlike many of the other stories. It's not a mystery. Magically resolves. It's it's a, a there's a there's a very clear threat. There's a very clear three act structure. There's a very clear journey to be made, um, escaping that threat and, and and facing the nemesis that is that is Moriarty. Um, and Bert's been very very skillful at guiding me through that. Yeah, there's the. Um... Um, I, I don't want to talk too much about the play itself because I want people to go and see it and be surprised that uh, uh, it's. Uh, but uh, I'll say that there's there's nods to Study and Scarlet, obviously, because Watson has to talk about how he met Holmes. There is a fantastic little um, sort of thumbnail sketch about the Speckle Band, which I really enjoyed. It's like we we had a free story thrown into the middle of it. I quite enjoy, I really enjoyed that. Um, and there's the final problem, obviously, because that's that's why we're here. Um, I was quite relieved. I was a bit as, of the sign of the four as well. And so, of course, yeah, of course, the sign of four, yeah, obviously, because and and also a great deal of Mary. Yeah. It has to be said, um, who, who is represented within, the, who's on stage but not on stage, which is something I'm going to, I'm going to come back to in a second. Um, so I, I like the fact that it was a, um, it was a Watson story, sort of Watson's greatest hits in a way, um, up until the great hiatus, and then um, I was just thinking. Because I wasn't sure if it was a solo play, and I just thought, please don't have someone walk in as as the book, you know, the 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 bookseller, and then and then the lights go black. I don't think I could bear that. <laughs> so, so thank you for not doing that. Um, I didn't want to see Holmes because, and the reason I said it is because Holmes is in it. He's definitely in it, and, and except he's a hat stand. <laughs> that, that's why I, can't, I I. So there there is a um, uh, there's a hat stand with a lot with a lot with Watson's coat on it and and the bowler hat. Time for the war, and um, every now and then there's a little glance to it, or you know, that's the, the Holmes is always in this, even though he's not in it. And I thought that was, even though it's a one, uh, you know, a, a one man show, Mary's in it and Sherlock's in it as well. And I thought that was very well done. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yes, it, the, the hat stand is a focus device. 
yeah. it gives Tim a, an area where Holmes can be addressed if necessary. I mean, it's flexible. He's not always the hat stand. I mean, or if no. he's the hat stand, the hat stand wanders around invisibly. But um, yeah, it helps. Mary is there. She's on the desk. Yeah. Um, Watson himself is there in the form of his Gladstone medical bag. Um, you know, uh, it's necessary to do these things to take it away. I mean, you could do it, a show like this, with Tim standing immobile in the middle of the stage, a bare stage, just telling us the story. In fact, it would be a very very interesting experiment to try and do a show like that. But we both wanted more more drama. We wanted more action. I mean, he does, you you talked about him rushing from side to side of the stage. He actually does quite a bit of that. Um, And more action besides. We didn't. Yeah. We did It is a stage play. It's not a radio play. We wanted it to to have a yeah. visual impact as well. Hence the um, the flashback scene to Afghanistan. You uh, get shot, yeah, and you properly yeah. get shot. Yeah, I get shot. Yeah, twice. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult to do with a, a a back spasm as I had on Monday night. Um, thankfully, gone now. But that was that was quite challenging. And it was genuine. <laughs> I, I, speaking of, of these ailments, um, I, and I know the answer to this because we had a chat after the show. Um, Watson has a limp in the yes. story, and yes. that's not necessarily a coincidence, is it? <laughs> uh, well, no. One, one of the it's necessary to explain for people who maybe don't know this. Doyle famously didn't care much about continuity and nope. um, accuracy. In one story, Watson describes how he was shot in the shoulder. Yeah. In another story, he describes how he had a bullet in his leg. And it's very difficult to reconcile those two things, unless you tell yourself he was a modest chap and he never wanted to say, well, I got shot twice, but I heroically brought myself yeah. straight. So we decided, well, I decided in advance, because it, this is what I did in the radio version of The Final Problem and earlier, that he was in fact shot twice. Um, I just didn't like to talk about it. Yeah, that's probably true. But also, um, Tim does have a limp. Uh, or, or you did on Monday night, anyway. Yeah, I did on Monday night. And I, and I think I said to you afterwards, that no, normally speaking, when I perform this piece, uh, I have to remind myself to limp as Watson. And, and, and on a Monday night, I was having to remind myself not to. Uh, <laughs> whatever I did and anyone else. Um, when I did Holmes, and uh, that that was that was actually quite painful, <laughs> um, but uh, but as heroically and stoically as, as as Watson himself, I I I got through it, and I seem to be better today, which is great. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, it, it's a fantastic show. I'm obviously I'm um, duty bound to say that. Oh, what, I, I was with my girlfriend and her son, uh, and his friend uh, at, the, at the performance, and uh, and her son said to me. Did they get anything wrong? And which I Bert Cools, how dare you suggest that Bert would get something <laughs> oh, wrong? Thank you. <laughs> well, I might, but Bert wouldn't. No, that, yeah. well, well, you can't tell because you, you obviously because you, you know you you are Watson. Um, one thing that I, again, I don't want to give away any of the plot too much, but Bert, can I just say that the um, Holmes is it Holmes's supposed title for the Speckle Band was a genuine laugh. In the audience, thank you. Um, and also, can, can you actually pick this up, Tim? When people sort of know their stuff in the audience? Oh yes, 
Uh, uh, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I've, I, I've, as I've got more confident with it, I definitely allow the audience to come back at me uh, uh, when I ask them, uh, the Speckled Band, do you remember that one? Yes. Um, and uh, and everyone all... said yes around me. Yeah, lots of people said yes on Monday. And funny enough, in Australia, I, I've um, been to Australia with this show and, and performed it at the Adelaide Festival Fringe in January, February. And um, February, March, I should say, and uh, a, a surprising number of people would shout out at that point. And 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 being Australian, sometimes they shout out a bit more. Okay, <laughs> much as well. I know, just join us. Oh yeah, remember that one? That was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've we'll move on. Now. I've not been to every performance, sadly, but uh, I've been to a few. And we've definitely had audiences who were clued up Sherlockians in the main, yeah. and audiences who weren't. And it's very interesting to compare the uh, the reactions. You don't need to know anything about Sherlock Holmes to enjoy this show. No, and that really needs to stay saying, um, I think. Which is uh, deliberate on both our parts, obviously. Um, one of the great ambitions I have would be to take this to America and possibly play it at the uh, Baker Street Irregulars birthday weekend celebrations because my god that would be a demanding and knowledgeable audience and it will be fascinating to have a show where every single person in the audience knows almost by heart every single word of the stories that we're working with well you, you say that they might know the story but i think one of the nicest compliments to you and to the show that i've, I've ever had was coming out of a show at, uh, at Coventry last year, and somebody came out of the audience and said, um, "said What I love about your performance is how you used all Conan Doyle's words." Ooh, and I'm I'm here to tell you that that an awful lot of it uh, is not Conan Doyle. An awful lot of it is Burt Gould's, and a little bit of me as well. But the great the great thing about uh, the uh, the way that Burt's magically uh, created this piece for me to perform is that it is all authentic. It, it feels authentic because it's very much written in the style of when we when we segue out of Conan Doyle and into, for example, there's a little bit of reference to Freudian um, theory at one point. And it's in, and I, I, I did the first draft of that and but threw it out with 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 um in, in a typically blunt way that Burke can sometimes do and rewrote it but perfectly as if it had been written by Conan Doyle and it it, it fits I well you tell me but I think it fits seamlessly that section because yeah. it's so skillfully written thank you yeah you you, you it's uh, um obviously because I know the stories I, I knew the sort of the the the, the, the you know the, the the main um a lot of the lines because I've heard the radio, your radio adaptation so often. We spoke uh, after the show. Um, we thought we'd give you a little bit of publicity by uh, by uh, having it. Not that we we were a massive Sherlock machine here on this show, but um, can I ask where where are you playing next? What's your what's your? Next I was show? rather excitedly uh, last year. A lady from Cunard came and saw the show at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, and has booked me to go on Queen Mary too. So I'm going. I'm next week at the end of next week. I'm flying off to New York. And performing Watson on Queen Mary too. Now that's not available to everybody who listens to this um, podcast. But I was about to say, when can we come? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'll be there. But... We can come to is if if you're in the Durham area. I'm doing two shows at Durham Fringe on the 26th and 28th of July, and then I'm at Edinburgh from the 2nd of August to the 28th of August 
every day at 3.15 in, in George Square uh, with Assembly Festival. So that's the 2nd to the 28th of August at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe every day at 3.15. Can I advise every single listener to this show to go and say, I absolutely loved it. And what was lovely for me as well is my, my girlfriend's not particularly interested in Sherlock Holmes and she absolutely loved it, genuinely loved it. And, you know, it, it sort of struck a chord with her as well. Because she just thinks I just wander off and speak to strangers on, on my laptop for an hour um, with, with this Welsh man. Because um, that's what we do. Um so happy to give you, you know, give you a plug for that. Well, obviously, we'll put this on Twitter too. But what what are you doing these days, Bert? I have been struggling. Well, struggling. I've been bashing my head against the wall for ages on a screenplay of based on the Hound of the Baskervilles. Okay. Um, and I've not got it right yet, as Tim will attest. Uh, but there hasn't been a cinematic version of the Hound of the Baskervilles since 1959 which seems to me to be astonishing. Um, whether it would ever happen, I don't know. I mean, there are all kinds of budgetary uh, restraints at the moment. But if I, even if I can only do it for my own satisfaction, I want to find a way of making that story or a story around that story work for the big screen. So that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm also looking at another one-man show for Tim, Um yeah, well, what we could tell people why not? I'm I'm writing a show about Betty Hill, the oh really the, the comedian, yes, yeah. the um unjustly ostracised comedian. I think it's fair to say, um, which could be a fascinating subject. I think. I mean, there's a lot more to him, particularly in his early years, than uh, than we know from the the later rather overblown rather formulaic TV shows that he did. So that's a possibility for the future. Because he was very poetic as well. I mean, everyone just remembers the girls, obviously, and, you know, the patting the man on the head and that sort of thing. But his delivery to camera stuff is quite poetical, wasn't it? He was... Yes, yes. In I mean, sort of the way was, that Les Dawson is, is, it was poetical as well. He, he, he was very much a verbal comedian. I mean, he... Uh, he he never was at home on the stage, but he really established himself originally on radio. Yeah. And a lot of his early stuff when he transferred to television was it's very reminiscent of, of the stuff that was written for the two Ronnies. That's what I thought, uh, yeah. A, a yeah. lot of verbal play. And, and the two Ronnies, very famous sketch about um, Mastermind, where he's answering the question before last every time, um, which people may remember, Benny Hill did it first. Did he? Charlie yeah. Figgis, I want to say his name is, isn't that? I don't know why that's come to my head. I'm sorry. Roddy Corbett is, is Charlie Figgis. I think that's his name in the Mastermind sketch. I absolutely love the two Ronnies uh, in the Mastermind sketch. Yeah, I think that's his name. Occupation, Charlie Figgis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well remembered. I think it's something like that. Anyway, I have to look that up now. Um, oh, that's fantastic then. And um, it's funny you mentioned the hound because I've, I've finally submitted to Audible so I can um, I can listen to to books as well when I'm when I'm driving, which just seems to be a lot these days because I'm stuck in in, in Norfolk. Um, and I've just heard Hand of the Basketballs, your version of Hand of the Basketballs with Donald Sinden, and um, um, which was a tremendous thing as well. So I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see you have another go at the Hand of the Basketballs for the big screen. That would be lovely. Oh, thank you. Well, my favourite review of, of that, of the radio version, was the critic who said Donald Sinden is far more frightening than any hound could ever be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Scary. Oh, I love that. So, gents, thank you very much for coming on to the show. We wish you the best of luck with, with, with the show. I, I absolutely loved it. And I'll, I'll, I'm, 
I was going to say, and of course I do because I'm obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. But there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes I don't approve of, so, <laughs> so but uh, I'm very much approved of this one. So thanks for coming on. And please, if you can't make it to New York, if you can't quite make it to New York, if you're not on the guest list, please go and see Tim in Durham, and then why not go a few miles north as well and go and see him in Edinburgh, where he's on every single day. At, at, where where is it again, Tim? Uh, George Square Assembly Festival. Um, Edfringe.com. Watson, the final problem will get you there. Go and see it. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.